What is going on, Chiefs Kingdom? You are back on another edition of the Coach's Corner. I am Justin Dupengeiser. I am joined, as always, by my guy, Caleb James. Caleb, it is Monday evening after getting to watch the Kansas City Chiefs take down another AFC Championship in absolute dominant fashion. We are one game away from, from completing the Run It Back Tour. How are you doing, man? Man, I am doing absolutely 100% fantastic today. I know the entire Kansas City area has just been on fire with excitement over the course of this past weekend. And, you know, it truly is feeling magical right now. Like we're getting, we're witnessing the start of a potential dynasty. But I want to ask you, uh, up in the old western New York area, a little upstate New York, what's the kind of mood up there today? Because uh, I don't know how I'd be feeling right now if I were a Buffalo Bills fan. It's pretty funny because it, it's last night there was a lot of um, devastation. They were really bummed. They, I mean, obviously, you, you lose a game like that, you're obviously upset and stuff, and you really don't want to hear it you don't want to hear it from especially a Chiefs fan or whatever of what went wrong and this and that obviously they're upset with some of the coaching stuff um you know today it was like wow we were really really outclassed in pretty much every facet of the game they're just way better than us so it was pretty interesting some some people came around you still have the the idiots who are are uh yeah it was just a bad game they didn't play great blah 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 and all this ridiculous nonsense but I mean if you're watching football and you have at least a halfway sense of knowledge about what's going on in the game you could you could tell the Chiefs were just so far better than the Buffalo Bills in pretty much every aspect of the game coaching offense defense um, I'd say special teams there was a little blunder on special teams for the Chiefs but I mean they're just such a better football team it's not even funny and the Chiefs didn't even have their A game if you think about it so that's what was so impressive about it, how much they dominated. And they, they still haven't played their best game of the year, I don't think, yet. But, Caleb, what, what, what are your biggest takeaways? Let's just start right there. Just give me what your thoughts are and, and what are you thinking after a game like that? Well, I'd say my biggest takeaway was the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs were down nine points headed into the second quarter. And I was like, yep, this is fine. This is exactly where we want to be. We're losing by double digits in a big playoff game. I said, this is exactly how it should be right now. And then pretty soon they go out and put up a 21 unanswered. And I'm like, yeah, it's unbelievable. But uh, that first uh, turnover with Hardman, I was obviously a devastating, but great teams overcome adversity and great teams pick up their teammates the entire way. And immediately after Hardman fumbled that football, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, knowing that they're going to need Hardman for the game plan, the rest of the game for what they wanted to do, went over there and they picked him up and then Hardman goes down and scores the touchdown and then they hit him with that reverse and he blows past everyone. It was a big explosive play and it kind of left the Bills a little starstruck because, you know, I'm sure the Buffalo fans got that 9 nothing lead and they thought the Stars were about to align, but not today because when you have Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey – you can pretty much put your foot to the gas pedal and go out there and do whatever you want to do. They're on such a different level than I, I can honestly remember ever watching in the NFL. I've, you know, 
I'm a little bit older than you, so I've, I've had a little bit more time. Just going a little bit. Back. Just a little bit, right? Not too much. But, like, I can, you know, remember back to all these, you know, the really good offenses that you that you think about. You know, the when, like, even John Gruden when he was with the Raiders or when the greatest show on turf was happening or, like, the 49ers offenses back in the day or – you know the the eighteen and zero Patriots offenses, which probably, in my eyes, is the most comparable offense to this offense because when they get rolling, it is just an avalanche. You can't you can't stop it. There's nothing you can do. It didn't matter what the Bills tried. It just the Chiefs were clicking, and I knew from that first series. On that first th- third down, when Tyreek dropped that 30-yard-ish pass, that would have been an easy first down. And Mahomes, if you watch it, there was actually, he threw it kind of from a funky angle because there was a little bit of pressure where he just kind of had to flick it out there. But, I mean, he he put it out there, and it was just just money. I was like, uh-oh, Bills are in trouble on this one because Mahomes is about to be on it, and that is not a good sign for them. So it, it, it was just another incredible incredible game to watch and and let's just let's start right with the offensive side because again I'm just in awe of what the stuff they do so this is this was their drives last night on offense you know they obviously had the the drop that we talked about so they went three and out on the first one which honestly does anyone think that if they don't pick up that first down they probably don't score I mean they probably do but then they went touchdown 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 kneel to end of the half field goal touchdown, touchdown, <laughs> end the game. That was it. Like, that was their offensive drives. You know, Hill had over 170. Kelsey had, like, 13 catches. Just just an incredible, incredible offensive performance. You know, like I said, Mahomes, he even put these numbers up that were just incredible, and he even had drops, right? He even had probably, Chiefs had probably three or four drops to start the game. So what offensively, from the past game do you think was the the biggest thing and like we talked a little bit about what what did we think you know the bills were going to do to try to stop them they really they came out with the same game plan pretty much and and really tried to play soft early and we talked again about how we said that if they do that the chiefs aren't going to oblige them just by turning around and handing the ball off to these running backs they're not going to take the ball out of pat mahomes hands in the playoffs and they didn't yeah, and this was the biggest game of the season. And I think, to be honest with you, I think this is one of the best games Patrick Mahomes has ever played in his entire career. And, you know, we didn't quite get like the crazy deep bombs and we didn't quite get like the crazy scrambling. But some of those throws he made to Travis Kelsey, oh my God. The one on the second drive, on the first drive they scored on, when he's in the shotgun and, you know, they drop into that zone and he literally just throws it past the defender's head, and Kelsey isn't even in the shot of the All-22 film. He wasn't even in the shot of the TV camera, and he just threads that and puts it in there. And then the other one, you know, it, there's a free rusher off the edge. The Chiefs just didn't have enough blockers lined up. Some alms knew he had to get rid of it. Just kind of sidesteps and is getting wrapped up and throws it on a dime, and there goes Travis Kelsey diving in to – just make another phenomenal catch. I mean, the, they were just sensational. And then with Tyree Kill, you know, on the big explosive 71, on the 71-yard play he had, you take a look at that play. 
the Bills had been mixing all day, but they had Chiefs had caught them in man, and the Bills' safety, I kid you not, was 25 yards off of the line of scrimmage, lined up back like that because they were playing like that. They were waiting for some kind of a deep ball. Well, the Chiefs bring Travis Kelsey over on like a little flat route behind Hill. It's an RPO action, so the middle of the field clears, and Hill just gets one step on his guy, and I mean, you know, he gets that one step, he's gone, and the safety's so far back that he doesn't have any kind of an angle to go run him down. And, I mean, you just see the freak explosion, the freak athleticism. And I I thought it was funny. I saw on Twitter today, you know, they were kind of poking fun at Hill a little bit, saying he's getting slow or whatever. If you guys think he's getting slow, I just want you guys to know he ran about 125 yards on that football play, so – I mean, that's probably one of the longest distances we've seen anyone have to run, and especially for such a short route. But like you said, it was just a complete and utter domination from start to finish. Byron Pringle actually had a couple of catches in there also, one of the only other guys to have some. I didn't think he really played all that bad either, and it's pretty clear they are grooming him to be ready to go next season to fill probably the role of a Demarcus Robinson and potentially even a Sammy Watkins type guy. Yeah. I thought that if you saw Therese Paler's um, Twitter, he actually tweeted that play out and he called it a Jeter fastball from Mahomes. And I thought that was a great way to describe it because again, you watch where his arm angle is. Tremont Edmonds actually flies in there and he's kind of got to fit it in between Edmonds. Who's filling that gap in the, in the guard who's pass setting on the backside of that RPO. And he kind of whips it in there just like like a shortstop would in baseball. And like you said, just an explosion. What a what an incredible play. But that but that to me, like you go it just goes to show how well prepared this Kansas City offense was because the Bills came out with the plan that they had, you know, in the first game where they're trying to play soft, they're trying to do, you know, make Kansas City run the ball and force them to keep everything in front and all this stuff. And, you know, Mahomes is going out there and shredding them. So then, like you said, then the Bills, all of a sudden, they try to go to man. Now, okay, now we have our backside slant RPOs, and you can't cover Tyreek Hill in the slot. So we're going to put him in the slot and have him run this quick slant. And, you know, good night. Like, they, the Chiefs the Chiefs coordinators, the Chiefs game plan, and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and Steve Spagnuolo, they had all the answers last night. And I think that, um, you know, it, it comes with time for the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott's a good football coach, but you could tell he was completely outmatched last night. It was it was an impressive performance um, by Eric Bieniemy and that offensive staff and Andy Reid. That that game plan was just so great because it, even even the running game it wasn't it wasn't super efficient. But when they did run the ball, they got the job done. They did you know they picked up some short yardage on tough runs by Daryl Williams and um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And, you know, Clyde, obviously, he ended up sitting quite a bit of time during during the end of that game. And I don't know if that was for maybe them just saying, hey, this game's out of hand and, you know, take take your rest. And we got Daryl Williams in there playing really good football right now. So, you know, don't worry about it. Take it down. But, again, they had the, just the right calls at the right time. They they made the, the – it just seemed like the right decisions. They were always one step ahead of where that Bills defensive staff was. Yeah, and – you mean you look at it and Sean McDermott, well, I think the thing to go back on is 
we had touched on this. The Buffalo Bills have a really high pass rush win rate percentage, but that's due to a lot of the time that they have to bring pressure and blitzes, and they have to do that. And, you know, they did that a few times, but it seemed to me, again, like like you've been saying, they're going to play back, they're going to play soft, and the Chiefs really just ate all of that stuff up. And, you know, Mahomes had ample time the offensive line, I thought they played pretty well for the most part. You know, Buffalo doesn't have like a real elite pass rusher. They don't have a really elite front seven. So it was pretty easy work up front for the big boys. And then, you know, when you talked about uh, Clyde, I'm assuming he's still fairly banged up because he came back awfully quick for having two injuries in the same play. So he's probably still dealing with some of those injuries. But Daryl Williams has the hot hand right now, so – you know, it's Andy's been known to ride with the hottest hand who in whatever position it is, even if it is a situation late in the playoffs. And, you know, like you said, it wasn't the main attraction, but those, some of those short yardage plays and then down on the goal line, it was really nice to see the Chiefs be able to pound the ball and they're on Buffalo. I really thought it was interesting because I know uh, Colin Coward had been saying on one of his television programs about how uh, – Oh, how the Bills have such a great red zone defense. And we're sitting here looking at this. Oh, and he said the Bills have a pretty good third down defense. And when we're going to sit here and look at this on a third down, I believe the Chiefs were something like the Chiefs went six of 10 on third down. And they also were five of five inside the red zone, I believe. So, you know. When you're doing that stuff, there's it's going to be hard for you to win, especially when Buffalo's only going five for fourteen. But you know, it's also nice to see how the Bills ran more plays than the Chiefs did, and the Chiefs have over a hundred, almost over a hundred more yards than the Bills do offensively. So, just kind of goes to show you that you know the Chiefs were not going to come in here and get conservative; they were going to roll with what they had been doing successfully all season long, and that was getting the ball to their playmakers and letting Mahomes go to work. They certainly did, and and Patrick Mahomes, to that point, just I hope that everybody understands how good, and I mean, if you've listened to this podcast and you've listened to me rant and rave and, and, you know, love on him and and talk him up, I'm sure you understand how good he is, but I just, I I can't overstate it. Like, he is the best football player I've ever seen play in the time that I can remember watching football like it, it he's he's just so incredible it blows my mind every time he goes out on the field and it's something that else that we've talked about on this show is when you get Patrick pissed off or you slight him in any way he's coming for you he's got that MJ factor where it don't take much or the Kobe factor it doesn't take much he's going to find a way to get motivated and that all it takes is that little bit of extra stuff and you know what's coming and everybody talking about how good the bills are and the bills are on the chiefs level and then all of a sudden it's oh josh allen is on patrick mahomes level maybe he even even passed him maybe um yeah and then the espn puts out that clip with the the billboard whatever and they have you know the little check mark next to the buffalo bills for the quarterback of which team has the advantage for the tail of the tape um yeah, if you didn't notice uh, on that reply, Patrick Mahomes tweeted, quote tweeted that today and just put a yawning face. Like, 
don't don't go out and poke the bear, guys. Like that is not what you want to do against him because he takes anything that he can and he's going to use it and he is he's going to come for you. That's just who he is. He's a silent assassin. He's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And then he gets on the football field and he's an absolute killer. That's who he is. Like, just for example, his numbers in the postseason, 6-1, 17 touchdowns, 2 interceptions. He averaged 293 yards a game and 100.9.8 passer rating. That's, that's unbelievable. That is absolutely unbelievable. The dude is so amazing. He is somebody that I, we're so lucky to have as Chiefs fans, and, and if you like football, you can't help but just, you got to admire what they do because it is so fun to watch their their offense. Um, he's obviously got some incredible weapons, and let's let's take a second and talk about Travis Kelsey because he's another one. Do you think that he might be the most underrated, or maybe, maybe not underrated, but underappreciated, player of maybe all time at his position because everybody still wants to put like George Kittle in the conversation and Rob Gronkowski in the conversation and Tony Gonzalez in the conversation. These are all great football players, but like what, what Travis Kelsey is doing right now is again, it's un it's unheard of. He's playing the position. It's such a different level than anyone else has ever played the position. It's just, it's unbelievably mind blowing to see, that the Chiefs legitimately could have three first ballot Hall of Famers all on the field all at the same time, and two of them could have a chance to be the absolute greatest of all time at their position. Just take a look at what he Travis Kelsey did last night, because last night I think was an excellent sample size for his whole career in general. So we take a look at it. He had just a casual... 13 catches for 118 yards and scored two touchdowns. Okay, that's awesome. But then you take into account on that long run, he had a key on McCole Hardman's long run. He had a couple of very key blocks on that. And then on Hill's big play, you know, he was also a factor where they kind of used him as a decoy. He was killing them last night. And, you know, and we kind of expect it every week. But we take it for granted just how much of a mismatch he is. Because some of those plays where he's diving out there and throwing it to Mahomes, that chemistry, I don't know if I've ever seen two guys with that kind of chemistry playing this game. I can think maybe, maybe, just maybe, back when Randy Moss was with Tom Brady in New England for those couple of seasons, that was some chemistry that kind of reminds me of this, just guys knowing where they were going to be at at all times. And obviously some of the stuff that uh, Ben Roethlisberger had back in the day with like a guy like Antonio Brown. But I just can't really think of any other time where I've seen two guys synced up and they know exactly what the other is thinking and they're absolutely just on the same pace. I mean, it's insane because he's going to sit there and probably listen to this, and there'll be some dumb Niners fan or someone that will say, oh, Travis Kelsey's not a real tight end. Really? Because it seems like he has actually had one of the best blocking seasons of any tight end in the NFL, especially in a couple of games this year where the Chiefs were upset and they just wanted to run the ball down people's throats. So he is inching closer and closer to becoming the greatest. And I mentioned this on the show earlier. He may never catch Tony Gonzalez as far as – individual stats and records he very well could at the rate he's going at now but winning 
makes everyone a little bit better and winning makes everything a little bit greater. And Travis Kelsey has a chance now to get his name up there. Cause that's why Rob Gronkowski, some people consider him the goat. It's because playoff heroics. Well, we're starting to see that from Travis Kelsey because he is definitely going to be geared up to go. And I think, you know, in the Super Bowl, he's going to have a huge impact on the game. Yeah, there's just no question about it. He's going to be a huge part of the game plan again going forward like he is every single week. And so far as to this point, nobody's been able to stop him. He's going to have a tough matchup with the Bucs, and we'll get there um, in a little bit. But he, he, he is incredible. You know what? Something I found interesting, too, was is even last night, Tredavious White, who is one of the better corners in the NFL, he actually even got lined up on him a few times. And even him, he, like Kelsey's out here running routes at such a high level, he's running them like a wide receiver. Like he shook Tredavious White a couple times. He had he had like a little um a little bit deeper than a slant, but like a little almost like a glance post type route, had a little in on Tredavious White, and both times he shook him and got and had a pretty easy catch and was pretty wide open. Uh pretty incredible to to think that, you know, a tight end out there at his size is able to 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 run the route the way that he does. And he's obviously very athletic, but he is such a uh, such a good route runner and he uses just so many little subtle things and he knows exactly how to set defenders up. It's so impressive to watch him when he gets working. Um, it, the other person that we've already kind of touched on with his huge play was Tyreek Hill. And he's another one that it's just so impressive when he gets going again, Trey Davis white supposed to be a pretty good NFL corner. And he had his hands full with Tyreek. Even you think about the one play, where Tyreek stepped out of bounds on the long play. That was just a little five-yard speed out, on an, again, on an RPO where they're running inside zone. Pat sees that it's singled up. He says, all right, I'm just going to flick it out there to Tyreek and you know pick up my eight to ten yards, and all of a sudden it's uh, he squares him up and just flat runs by him, even though he has the sideline and, you know, even though uh, White has the sidelines to help defense, he just runs right by him. He ends up stepping out, but, I mean, it was a – again, it was going to be almost a 40-yard gain off of a five-yard pass. He's just such an incredible weapon that he he changes the game. Like, I don't know – you know, you try to press him like they did when on the slant play that we talked about, and then you play off of him and he catches a five-yard speed out, and all of a sudden it's a 40-yard gain. Going forward, like – Real quick, I mean, we'll get into the buck stuff later. But what do you, what do you, if you're a defensive coordinator, Caleb, what do you do? Do you double? Do you try to double Kelsey, or do you say, all right, we need to double Tyreek? If you had to pick one, who are you doubling? Man, I wouldn't even begin to have any idea which one to choose because we've seen games this year where teams have taken away the deep ball, and Travis Kelsey has just gone to work and eaten people alive in that 15 to 20 range. And then like the first time we played the Bucks this season, they said, well, we're going to try to take away the middle of the field and make them beat us deep. And that was probably one of the biggest mistakes of, uh, of the Tampa's defensive coordinators names on the tip of my tongue, but uh, probably Bruce Arians probably regrets doing that because Tyreek Hill only had like one of the greatest games in the history of actually playing football that game. You know, man, I just have to take away the deep ball because you got you can put good corners on Kelsey and they still can't stop him. You're only real sh- – and to be fair, that's how, you know, going back to 2018, the only guy who was able to beat the Chiefs consistently that year was Belichick, and that's because he took away Tyree Kill from the Chiefs' offense. 
And since then, Hill has evolved into a much better route runner to where he doesn't just have to be the deep threat all the time. But that's the only proven way to slow down the Chiefs somewhat is to take all of that away and really take away the deep ball. Well, now we're starting to see Tyree Kill develop into a uh, underneath guy. So, but you still, if I was a defensive coordinator, I would still just take away that deep stuff just because of the mindset and the mentality that it can have your team in. Because, you know, there's one thing to just get gashed by Travis Kelsey, but you're still giving yourself a chance. You know, you're still giving your guys a, play, a chance playing and play out to, you know, get a tip ball or have something crazy happen. When it's the bombshell, when they're loading up and going deep, it's over. You don't have a chance to win at that point. At that point, it's just deuces to the end zone. And, you know, that's pretty much at the point where I'd say if I was a defensive coordinator, that's the demoralizing factor. That's where your morale is going to start to die down. And that's where your secondary is definitely going to start losing confidence, especially if your pass rush isn't getting home. So the best thing to do is to take away Hill, in my opinion, and just keep playing and keep trying to force a mistake. And, you know, and if you can't get it done, then you can't get it done. Not too many teams have, I don't think a single team this year's really, stop the Chiefs offense per se, but that's what I would do at least. No, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Um another guy that is an absolute speedster on the team that we kind of touched on earlier was the McCole Hardman thing. And you talked about how he had he had the bad muff punt and that that that's something to me I, he's obviously a weapon back there. We've seen him he's he's had punt returns for touchdown, but I don't think he's ever truly looked comfortable catching punts. Um, they, they, he never really did it when he was at Georgia. It's something that they'd wanted to turn him into a punt returner because of his athleticism. And, and obviously he's done a good job in that role, but he's obviously made some mistakes. Um, and you're going to have that from him. But then you look at him when he comes back, he has the, the massive play on the reverse. He catches again, another little RPO where they go a bunch three by one set. Um, they fake the, or, you know, he pulls it on the inside zone run. He flips it part of um, out there, Mahomes flips it out to Hardman, catches it in the end zone. You know, he to me, and and this is just going back to the, some of the conversations that we had. You know, it feels like forever ago, months ago, the guy might not be an extraordinarily polished wide receiver at this point, but I don't know if there's a better player that fits into the Kansas City offense the way that Hardman does right now. His ability to stretch the field horizontally on all those fake jet passes, because he had another big one of those too, on all those jet sweeps, and then you fake it to him, and then he's going in motion across the field, and then he's stretching the field vertically on this stuff, and then you're throwing him uh, you know, um, a bubble pass for a touchdown. I, I, the guy is a good football player, and he's going to be a good receiver. He might even be a good receiver next year. It's just we haven't seen him in that role. But, again, he's doing what he's supposed to in this offense perfectly, in my opinion. Yeah, everyone was probably ready to kill him and probably very frustrated. And then, you know, you see all the Chiefs go over there, get his confidence back up, and then you reminds you why the Chiefs took him in the second round, why they still let him do things. It's because you cannot teach speed and speed like his is very rare. And to have speed like his combined with Tyree kills, this just it strains the defense so much. 
because I guarantee you this week coming up, they're going to have plays where Hill and Hardman are motioning and jetting across the field and doing all sorts of stuff, and it's just going to create problems. That's one of the areas I figured they would try to attack Buffalo in, which is why that reverse I thought was so big. If you remember back to the first time the Chiefs played the Bills, the Chiefs really had a pretty easy time with the outside run game. It was one of their better run games. Um, they were able to kind of use a lot of pin and pull, a lot of outside zone type plays, and, you know, get their bodies out there because the Bills just kind of, for a better lack of a terms, their linebackers are kind of slow out to cover in the flats. And we saw the Chiefs once again take advantage of that with Hardman. We didn't see Sammy Watkins this week, which probably elevated the role that both Hardman and Byron Pringle had to play this week. Do you think we're going to get to see Sammy ever play in the Chiefs uniform again? Because I was like, I thought for sure he was going to go this week. You know, I didn't think he suffered a severe injury, but he still ended up being out much to the unhappiness of our Chiefs kingdom just because we know how lethal of an offense we can really be when we get all of it going. But to be honest with you, I was really pleased with how Hardman and both Pringle kind of combined this game to fill his role. And I was also fairly satisfied with the lack of Demarcus Robinson in the football game. Yeah, at this point, man, I give it a 50-50 shot because like you, I kind of, anticipated him to be playing in this past game and when he didn't to me it's almost like <laughs> I don't know do you do you even run him out there he hasn't played in weeks I, I we might he might been this might have been the last you know we'll never see him again in a Chiefs uniform and it's unfortunate because I think when he's healthy and on the field he's a great football player and he makes our offense even better um but the the sad fact is is in 55 games with the Kansas City Chiefs he's only played in 38 of them which means he's missed 17, which means he's basically missed an entire season's worth of football games since he's been with the Kansas City Chiefs, which is pretty pretty bad when you think about it, especially for the amount of money that he's been paid. So pretty disappointing. Um, you know, obviously I, I, I do like him as a player. I think he's uber talented. I just don't know with his injuries and everything that's gone on, um, maybe if, if he's really going to, do too much in the NFL moving forward in his career. I'm hoping so. It just doesn't doesn't seem um, very hopeful, I would say, for Sammy. And kind of on that note, pretty unfortunate injury news um, for the Kansas City Chiefs with Eric Fisher. We saw him go down, and it was reported it was an Achilles, and then today it was confirmed that it is an Achilles tear for Fisher. Um, Super, super unfortunate, and you feel for him as a player, as a person. The Achilles injury is a very difficult injury to come back from in any sport, and especially football. You think about Eric Berry and what it did to him. Um, it's just not. It's just not good. And then you know, obviously, you think about him first, but then you think about you know, Kansas City still has to play in the Super Bowl here in two weeks. And what does it do to this offensive line? So basically now Kansas City is going to be going into the Super Bowl with four backup offensive linemen and a couple you know, guys who probably should be third string um, at the helm. It's just it's not a great situation by any means. 
just talk to me a little bit on this offensive line and what it means to lose Fisher. Because I said to my dad today, he's, you know, Eric Fisher, and we talked about this before on the podcast, actually, I think even, is Eric Fisher is not, you know, he gets the rap of being the number one pick overall. So there's this immense expectation when you come out that you're going to light the world on fire. And it took him a little bit of time to develop. But this guy's been a consistent top 10 to top 12 tackle in football for a number of years at this point. Yeah, and to uh, – yeah, just a sec. You did for just a second. You kind of glitched out on me there. But uh, back to what you were saying about uh, Fisher, it's just really unfortunate what happened because he has been one of the longest tenure guys on the team from that 2013 draft class. You know, him and Travis Kelsey came in together. They were the guys that Andy Reid drafted to help start his revolution in Kansas City. And you honestly feel horrible for the guy because he's seen the ups and downs of the NFL. He's seen he's been one of the most heavily criticized players on the entire team. He's had his ups and downs. And, you know, now he's starting to really, really play good football the last three seasons. I mean, being he's definitely a top end left tackle in the league, playing the best football of his life in the biggest games. So it obviously sucks that he's not going to be in the playoff run especially so much considering that there was already some questions about how much longer he was going to be a chief based on his contract and his age and that. And, you know, it's an Achilles injury, so I doubt we're going to be seeing much of Eric Fisher next season, which is highly unfortunate to say, but it's just the cold, hard truth. Now, heading into this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we are they're going Andy Reid and Andy Heck and Bienemy are going to have to come up with a protection plan that is going to work because like you just mentioned, I'm thinking the lineup they are going to roll with will be what we saw them roll with this game, which is Mike Rimmers at left tackle, Nick Allegretti at left guard, who Nick Allegretti, he played one of his best football games of his career. He's actually looking like a guy who I think is going to stick around for a little while and play some offensive line. Austin Ryder, who may be, and this may be his last game as the Chiefs. Steven Wisniewski, who's now has started, who's now will be starting in three of the last four Super Bowls. And uh, then Wiley at right tackle against guys like Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. So, you know, it's not an ideal situation by any means necessary, but they're going to have to figure out a way you can do it. I mean, it's next man up. so. It's honestly just a bunch of backups and an old man and Wisniewski out there right now. I'll be interested to see if they want to get Martinez Rankin. And I know he hasn't played a lot this year, and he's probably not really all that ready to go. But he actually looked pretty good at tackle against the Chargers in that first game he played this year. So we'll see who Andy's more comfortable with. But honestly, at this point, I've would be hard-pressed for them to play him in the Super Bowl considering he's only played in one game this year. But this week, more than ever, I'm expecting to see a lot of options. I'm expecting to see a lot of motions and flies and a lot of end-arounds. And I'm also looking to see Daryl Williams lay down a lot of chip blocks and probably the Chiefs also keep Byron Pringle or Demarcus Robinson in on some of those bunch formations where they kind of stay in and help chip the 
defensive end for the tackle and then just run like a little check down route. So that'll be big, and it could also be big if they need to check the ball down because they can't give Patrick time. It'd be also big to see if Mr. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would have himself a game because I remember there were a couple of instances the first time they played Tampa this year that the Chiefs were kind of able to move the ball with Clyde in the passing game. I just That really wasn't the game plan that day, though, so we might see that a little bit more. But I'm, I'm going to miss watching Eric Fisher play if that was his last game as a Kansas City Chief because – you know, like you said, he's one of the guys that came in and helped turn everything around. And we're going to be rooting for a speedy recovery for him. Yeah, we definitely will be. Super, super sad. Again, and just you feel for the guy, especially how he battled back through his injury earlier this year to get back on the field, and then you you get injured in the AFC Championship game one way one game one game away from playing in in your second state straight Super Bowl. So. Again, speedy recovery out to him, and hopefully everything goes good. Um, we're, we're obviously quite a ways into this podcast yeah, here, and we haven't even got to the defense. So if we don't get to the to previewing the Bucks game until next week, that's okay because we have an extra week to be able to do that, and we can actually even grind some more film on these guys and, and probably have an even better breakdown. But Because I want to be able to give this Kansas City Chiefs defense its due. Um, obviously – the story is always kind of the, the offensive in, in Kansas City, but holy cow, this defense, um, what what a performance. Spagnola, what a game plan. I, I think that it was probably one of the, and I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment, but probably one of the best game plans and most perfectly executed game plans I've seen all year on either the offense or the defensive side of the ball in the NFL. They absolutely wanted that one bad. Spags wanted that one bad. And I'd be willing to bet that Mr. Patrick Mahomes probably went up to his old buddy, Steve Spagnola, you know, in the game plan week. And he probably said, Hey, get after him this week. And here's something that's interesting. I think a lot of people take for granted. For most coordinators in the NFL and coaches, when they go to a different team and try to implement their CISA system, it doesn't always work the first time around. It can take them a little bit of time to get going. Steve Spagnola did not have that luxury last year, and we saw, like last year in the playoffs, and at this point, you know, down this stretch run, the defense has gotten even better. I think we are just now seeing the start of the peak of what could be an absolutely dominating, smothering Kansas City defense. Hey, I know the Bills scored 24 points, but they were down three possessions at one point, and they got spotted six points off of that. So, And there was an onside kick, which also put more points on them, and at that point, it was over. The Chiefs were just playing. You know, They were in their conservative defensive look. They weren't blitzing. Josh Allen reverted back to what I thought he was going to do all season from what we saw of him his rookie season to last year in big games and then the playoffs and to what we saw last night. You know, I know there was a lot of talk during the week, people saying the Chiefs can't possibly blitz him. Well, you know what? The Chiefs were the aggressor. Steve Spagnola said, I am not going to sit around and let him dictate what we do. I'm going to go take care of him. And he went in there and he absolutely fired the defense up. LeJarrius Sneed, Tyron Matthew, the entire secondary, Bashad Breland, those guys played fantastic. I mean, that's the best secondary performance I've seen in Kansas City in a long time. And even our guy, Rashad Fenton. And then up front, 
Frank Clark is alive. He got a couple of sacks. Chris Jones was causing havoc in there all day, getting into the backfield. You know, it was just an incredible performance all around. That is the best defense we have seen from Spags yet since he's been in, especially considering the way the Bills have been putting up points with Diggs and Allen. That's the thing, too. Like, the Bills offense, and if you weren't listening to the national media all week and over the last few months, they were slurping up and drinking up every bit of this flavor of the week. This Bills offense, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, the high-throwing, high-passing volume, Brian Dable-led offense. The, the national media and everybody could not get enough of them over the last month. Man, oh man, did did Steve Spagnuolo and that defense take them to the woodshed. It was incredible the way he mixed up the coverages. You know, he switched it out from playing zone into man. And then, you know, when they blitzed, there were timely blitzes. Um, huge credit up front to Chris Jones and Okafor and Tano and Frank Clark with the sack. Um, actually, if you go to my Twitter at JDS1617, I tweeted out earlier in the week, some plays from the Ravens-Bills game and kind of what the the Ravens' defense was doing against Buffalo. And I put a couple examples on there of how the Ravens tried to run some tackle end stunts where the tackle would go first, the end would loop inside, and then all of a sudden there's nobody on contained to the outside. So as soon as Allen, like the pressure would get there, the end would loop in and he'd be free, but Allen would just run away from it and there's no outside contain. So when I tweeted out there, I said next, I said I'd really much rather see some edge rushes out of them, some edge blitzes, and keep Allen in the pocket and make him you know, throw it from that way. Well, obviously, Steve Spagnuolo must have been seeing the same thing I was because he threw some really well-timed Legereus Sneed and Tyron Matthew blitzes off the edge where those guys came off the edge and they were either huge losses, you know, Sneed, part of Sack Nation, um, number three on the team with four sacks somehow, and only playing in, in, you know, in the few amount of games he did because of injury. He got a sack, and then the one that uh, the Honey Badger was in on, he caused a intentional grounding. So uh, for like a 15-yard loss, I think Allen had like, four sacks that averaged almost like 15 yards a loss each. So just just an, an incredible job there. Um, but the other thing was is, and, and Tony Romo was kind of highlighting it all night, was how sticky the coverage was. Bashad Breland, Javarius Ward, Legereus Sneed, Daniel Sorensen, Rashad Fenton, all these guys in the secondary, man. What an absolute stellar performance. You know, Fenton obviously got the pick. But Breland was in there and tipped tipped it, and that was another RPO there um, on that play that Allen was trying to throw. And 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 uh, actually, Ted Wynn of the Athletic did a really cool breakdown of that play, and I tweeted out there and had wanted to have him give me a little more of an explanation on it. So go check that out. That was really cool. But one of the factors in that play was Mister Juan Thornhill, who had his best game of the year, and I think it's pretty. Good to say that I think Thornhill might be just about all the way back. And if if he is, that secondary, man, I, I hope that we get to see them all together next year because I know Ward and Breland are potentially free agents, but, man, it would be nice to see them all together next year. 
dude, the secondary is just they've played so much better than I think people gave them we're gonna give them credit for because you know you're listening to it. Well, how are we gonna stop oh Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley? Well, number one, you can start by out physicaling them because I think the Chiefs defense came to this game with bad intentions. And we'll get into that here in a minute because things did get chippy and the Chiefs were the aggressors early on in the game and they were really there to set the tone and let them know. But you know, when they threw a couple of those slants across the middle to Stephon Diggs, he was met with some resistance. And, you know, Breland got called for the 15-yard penalty for unnecessary roughness, but I'm sure that was on the back of Diggs' mind all game. And, you know, it was just another one of those games where Bashad Breland, he's been one of the unsung heroes of this Kansas City Chiefs football team, and he's really been a guy who – has really just had a tremendous impact in the biggest moments. He's been their go-to corner out there all season long, and he was just phenomenal. I would love it if they could get them all back together. I don't know if that's possible, but I'm also really fired up that we keep seeing Legereus Sneed because he's going to be a, he's going to be a superstar. I mean, you look at him. I can see why at Louisiana Tech at the collegiate level they would want to play him at safety. I don't know if that's probably just because he was their most talented defender and they wanted him back there, to be honest with you, to try to help them win. But he has just fit what the Chiefs want so well from a slot guy. He pretty much – I mean, they shut down Beasley and Diggs. I mean, don't get me wrong, those guys, Beasley and Diggs, good players. They still had their rips and stuff, but it wasn't close to anything we've seen. But that when they were making Josh Allen go to his third and fourth read and he kind of started running around and getting happy feet, that's when I knew that we were mixing coverages. And you can even see that just from the way they were dropping people on the Rashad Fenton sack, or not the Rashad Fenton sack. I was going to say on the Legereus Sneed sack, they actually dropped Derek Noddy back into pass coverage. And he actually covers up kind of that inside passing route. So I thought that was funny. And then, you know, the Bills – at one point, the Bills probably said, well, we can't throw. Allen's uncomfortable. we got to try to run the football and get some stuff going with him. Allen had some big rips. He had 88 rushing yards, but a lot of those weren't designed. I mean, a lot of it was just him scrambling, and the Chiefs were content to let him do that because that's not whether the Bills have been beating people out this year. But you take a look at their traditional run game with TJ Yeldon and uh, Devin Singletary. You know, those guys on nine or ten combined carries – only had like 30 yards. So you take a look at that. They The Chiefs knew they were going to be able to stop the Bills' run game. And, you know, it's pretty apparent because Anthony Hitchens led the team in tackles and then followed by Breland. So overall, fantastic game. They are going to this, – this team right now with the issues on the offensive line headed into this week against Tampa Bay, I think this week could be the biggest week that the Chiefs are going to need to rely on the defense, especially with – the clicking Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we can get to that next show. Um, what who would who would you say is your offensive and defensive MVP for this football game? Uh, my offensive MVP is going to be Pat Mahomes. I am going to take the easy way out there. I think that he is everything that I talk him up to be, and probably even more. Um, as far as defensive MVP, man. It was such a collective thing. It's almost hard not to give it to Steve Spagnola, right? Yeah. I mean, they held, they held Josh Allen 
who obviously, like we just talked about, the guy was in potential MVP conversations. They held him to to a negative .05 EPA per play and a 39.1 quarterback rating. And just to put that in perspective, last night, Pat Mahomes was at a .52 EPA and an 85.8 QBR. Like, they they just completely dominated him. It, it, I mean, in every aspect. So I, I guess I would give it to Spags if I if I had to choose, which is pretty crazy to give it to Coach. But it was such a good game plan, and obviously the players executed it. I mean, it means nothing. The game plan could be great if the players go out and don't execute it. It doesn't mean anything, and they did. Um, if if I'm not choosing Spags, I'm I'm going to actually probably say Bashad Braylon because I think he did such a phenomenal job on Stefan Diggs. Yeah, I agree also. Um, I'm going to choose those two pretty easy just because Patrick Mahomes was eviscerating people in ways that should not be physically possible. And Breland, you know, that was his step-up game. That was his biggest game of his career pretty much. And he shut down the guy that ESPN and all the big media outlets have been saying was unstoppable. And I think the Chiefs got their point across that they're not messing around no matter who it is that they're playing, that they're always going to be the aggressor. This game got a little chippy. There were some things that were going on. I think Chris Jones did get away with one because he clearly dropped Joe Feliciano with a drop, but then we didn't see anything for a, with a left hook, and then we didn't see anything for a while. And then you have the play where Tano Passanio – who, by the way, Tano Passanio can only rush the passer in the AFC Championship game. I don't understand it at all, but for whatever reason, the last two years, he's been the guy in the AFC Championship game that's getting the sacks and creating pressure. So I don't know what it is. Maybe he's just a big game guy. He gets a hold of Josh Allen. And you know, Josh Allen's a big guy, right? Real big, strong quarterback, so he's not going to be hard to get down. The referee should have blown the play dead. For whatever reason, he keeps letting Allen run, and he's not going anywhere. Tano's got complete control of him. Well, then Alex Okafor comes over, and you know it's a high-pressure situation. You know the fans are going crazy. The Whatever amount of it was, Arrowhead were losing their minds, and he comes in and tackles Allen also. Allen then proceeds to do the little punk thing, and he threw the football at Okafor's head while he was after he mean after he'd been whining to the officials all night long about calls and whatnot, and then things got out of control. Um, Dawkins came in from the Bills, their guard. He came in and shoved him down, and then there was exchanges, and then all kinds of stuff. And then even on that last Chiefs drive of the game, there was some chippiness out there from the Bills defense. Do you think that this could be the start of a very – I think this is going to be the start of a very physical rivalry with the Buffalo Bills for the Chiefs. What do you think? There's certainly no love lost there in a tight game like that um, where a lot of stuff happens. And really the Bills got kind of embarrassed. So it's going to take one little thing to set them off um, to begin with. So, yeah, I, I do think so because I do think that their team – they has the potential to be right there in the running again next year. You know, they, they have a lot of good pieces. They're going to need to add some pieces, but you know, who isn't right now? So I could definitely see that. And the thing that I think that's kind of going unnoticed and like, I just, it's funny. So we're recording this on a Monday night. And before I got on here, I was actually arguing with a couple of my buddies in our group um, chat and saying like, yes, I, you know, I, the Chris Jones thing is a penalty all a hundred percent of the time. I was like, but don't don't act like 
in the first or in the second quarter, seven minutes and six seconds left, that Jerry Hughes did not try to launch Patrick Mahomes into a heater on the sideline, which nobody's talking about for some reason, and it's mind blowing. I went back to the All Twenty Two and I watched it. He pushes him out of bounds, which is fine, right? Because especially with Mahomes, you never know if he's going to throw it or whatever. But then he's standing on the white paint, and you see him. He shoves him and gives him a little bit more. And with Jerry Hughes's reputation, completely intentional in my in my eyes, because he has the rap of doing that. He is the guy that's known for getting 15-yard penalties for late hits on quarterbacks. That's kind of what his rap is. And if you ask any Bills fans, they'll tell you that. So, I mean, I think it started pretty chippy pretty early. And then, like you said, things, things got – you know, pretty crazy at the end. And then even when the Chiefs got the ball back, um, the first two plays, there was pushing and shoving back and forth. And then the second play, again, the Bills players went after the Chiefs again, and they, they ended up getting flagged for it and the 15-yard penalty on that one. But, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely could see that, especially, like I said, because they're a team I could see that will be back in the playoffs and they, they could play them again in the playoffs next year. Yeah, this is going to be the start of a very interesting rivalry for the NFL. And it's just that chippy play that the Chiefs are going to have to watch out coming up in the upcoming weeks because you never know when a referee is going to throw a flag that could alter the game or change the course of a football game. But I think that the that was just the, the Bills were just at their breaking point. I think they were at their frustration I think that they were just like you said they're embarrassed I mean all week long they've been touted out there by the national media and the Bills mafia was puffing their chests out and they were doing all this and that and they were walking around like they were like they were entitled to go to the Super Bowl not so fast you got to come into Arrowhead Stadium and you got to beat the baddest man on the planet and I think they were a little shell-shocked about what they saw. And I think it all goes back to that first matchup. The Chiefs gave them a little bit of hope just because they didn't really throw the football around all that much that game. Their hope got crushed pretty quick this week. Yeah, yeah, it did. And, and I loved every second of it, to be honest. But um, the last thing I kind of want to touch on before we kind of get out of here is, and that was my dog, Tiana. She says, hello, everyone. Um, is is the decisions by some of the coaches again this week, because we talked about it last week, again this week, being complete cowards and kicking field goals, and then Andy Reid goes out there and says, yep, I'm going forward on fourth down. We're down nine points, and Pat's standing there saying, I'm not leaving the field, and he's just waving his hand over saying, send the play in because I'm not coming off the field. Let's go. And sure enough, they call timeout, go back out there, pick up the first down. They score a touchdown, and here comes the avalanche. Sean McDermott decided to kick field goals twice, once before the half, and then uh, one other time on decisions where it was like fourth and two. Um, to me, you lose the game if you kick field goals against Kansas City to begin with, so poor decisions. And then the other thing was, is in the Green Bay-Tampa Bay game, you're down eight points. You have supposedly the MVP in the league. You have the ball at the nine-yard line. You go three plays where you don't pick up a yard, and then you kick the field goal on fourth down, and you never see the ball again. You have – I coaches, you have to go for 
the scores. You have to go for the win. Stop playing to lose. Any thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, don't give the ball back to Tom Brady. That's just, that's something that needs to be told to everyone. Because I got a good friend of mine who's a Packers fan, and I just texted him in our group chat after the game. And I said, well, welcome to the club, dude. You've officially had Tom Brady rip your heart out in a massive playoff game. So I thought that was kind of funny. Obviously, Andy Reid has a lot more experience than a lot of the other coaches. You know, not Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, you know, he's another one of those just OG, old-school football guys. But, I mean, LaFleur up in Green Bay, he's probably not been in many of those situations. And McDermott, as good as a coach as he's becoming, still hasn't been in that many high-pressure games for his career coaching yet. But how many times did Andy Reid get criticized between being in Philadelphia in his early years in Kansas City for what people would say is being too conservative or not being able to operate that stuff enough? He gets a lot more aggressive when he has a player like Patrick Mahomes, and I think it's just been one of the most underrated and beautiful storylines of the NFL over the last three seasons is the guy that has always been, they say, he just gets too conservative. He doesn't want to take shots or risks. We have seen Andy Reid just, for lack of better terms, he is just the most confident individual on the entire planet right now. He is letting it hang 100% of the time now. And, you know, they were down nine. If they don't get that fourth down, might have been tough to come back from, but... Of course, he dialed up the perfect play, and no one was worried about little old Daryl Williams, who was some third string back at the beginning of the season, and now all of a sudden he's probably going to be starting in the Super Bowl. And, you know, we've been saying this on this show forever. If teams are kicking field goals against the Chiefs, the Chiefs are going to win, and it's probably not going to be close at that point. But, yeah, you can't – at this point in the season, you cannot win games coaching scared. And those young coaches are going to have all offseason to think about that while the experience of Andy Reid has moved him on to bigger and better things. And now, you know who Andy Reid kind of reminds me of? I know we're getting a little long here on time, but I'll just say this real quick. I know you probably grew up watching those 49ers teams back in the 80s, Joe Montana – and Bill Walsh, Andy Reid's career arc is kind of reminding me of Bill Walsh's right now because if I'm not mistaken, for years, Walsh was criticized for not being that great of a coach or not being able to win the big game. And then all of a sudden, he got the right pieces he needed and they did something ridiculous. They ripped off like, what, three or four Super Bowls in like an eight-year period or something like that. That's the kind of run I think Andy Reid is about to have to end his coaching career. Like in life, I mean, you adapt or you die. I mean, there's no greater reflection of life than the sport of football, and that's the same thing. And I don't know if there's ever been a coach, and I think the Walsh comparison is a pretty good one, actually. But there might be no better coach that's revolutionized who he was um, as far as, like you talked about, about being conservative and, and this and that and completely changed his whole mindset about it. And, I mean, obviously having, like you said, Patrick Mahomes changes that. Um, but also a guy who has also, also helped revolutionize the NFL. So as he revolutionized himself, he also helped revolutionize the revolutionize the game. So pretty, pretty awesome to see, obviously coach Reed, he's, he's just the dude, man. He is just the best. I, I, I love that guy seeing him after the game. How about the chiefs and, and Travis Kelsey in the background going crazy. 
and, and all the players, you could tell they just love them. Um, just, just awesome. This team is awesome. The run it back tour, we're one a game away. Caleb, why don't you uh, go ahead and give any closing thoughts that you might have? Tell them what you're working on. Tell them where they can find you, and uh, we'll get out of here. All right, everybody. As always, you can find me on Twitter at CJ Scoobs. I am going to be posting film reviews today and tomorrow. I'm going to be putting a lot of that up on the old Twitter feed. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be posting some Bucks clips. I'll probably retweet some old stuff from the first time we played Tampa Bay. And you'll see my weekly articles and everything. I'll come up with some really good stuff for you guys because this is it, man. This is the Super Bowl week. It's the last football game of the year coming up in two weeks. And it's about to be a long 12 days. But on our next show, I guarantee you I have a couple of things I want to say because I think the Chiefs finally have an end to put Tom Brady in where he needs to be now. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at jdiz1617. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to be working on this week, but we have a few weeks here to the Super Bowl, so I'm I'm going to dig pretty heavily into this Tampa Bay box team. So I'll be tweeting stuff out like I did last week, I'm sure, with clips and stuff. Um, so make sure you're, you're on the lookout for that. Uh, make sure that you're heading over to Arrowhead Live. The, the shop is open. Everybody's got different articles coming out. There's different podcasts coming out. So make sure you're going over and hitting all those up. Um, we appreciate everybody being here. Guys, gals, we're, we're headed to another Super Bowl. I, I saying this to my dad today when they're way home from actually a, a football practice. I said, you know, we had to wait 22 years of our lives to see the Chiefs win their first playoff game. And now we're getting to watch them go to back-to-back Super Bowls. And then my dad goes, yeah. And my nephew, his grandson, is six years old, and he's gotten to watch them go to AFC Championship games for half of his life, and now two Super Bowls in a row. So I guess he must have hit the jackpot and was born at the right time. We endured all the suffering for him, but run it back tour is almost over, guys. One more game to close it out. No better way to do it than, than beat Tom Brady in Tom Brady's house to kind of pass that torch along as Patrick Mahomes and being the new goat of the NFL. Can't appreciate everybody enough for being here, guys. We'll talk to you next time.